The following recording was produced by Christ Redeemer Church of Hanover, New Hampshire. The speaker is Doug Cooper. You may find more information on the church and its various resources on the web at www.christredeemerchurch.org. Our reading today comes from Galatians 5, 1 through 15. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut you, um, sorry, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, for you will be destroyed by each other. This ends the reading of God's Word. Thank you, Craig. As you can see, we've uh, returned again to the exact same passage that we looked at uh, last week, as promised. And if you'll recall from last week, what I said then was that this whole passage, all of 1 through 15, is an outworking of verse 1 that we've got there at the top. And what verse 1 tells us, and then what um, this passage as a whole goes on to show us, is what I have been calling gospel freedom. And what I said last week was that is it relates to this gospel freedom that there's essentially two sides to this, two ways that Paul is highlighting here anyhow, in which we can experience gospel freedom. The first one is what we primarily looked at last week, and it's what you might call uh, freed from, to be freed from. And the other side, which will uh, be our primary focus for this morning, we'll exp expand on that a bit, but our primary focus will be what you could call 
um, uh, freed to. That would be the other side of gospel freedom. Freed from, freed to. And so if you would save yourself this morning, if you would call yourself uh, a follower of Christ, what, what has the gospel of Jesus Christ set you free to do? And then here's an additional question. And how has it set us free? How is it setting us free to do that? Whatever that is. We're going to sort that out. But whatever that is. And this most definitely ties us back to, you guessed it, um, verse 1. Because again, I said this last week, that verse 1 here, um, it's got, it has it all. Um, it, uh, it's fair to say that verse 1 is like a miniature of Paul's entire letter to the churches of Galatia. And so whatever Jesus has set us free to do, and however um, he has and is setting us free to do it, we are called, according to verse 1, to stand firm in that, in that doing, okay? Um, we are to remain steadfast in this particular experience of gospel freedom, whatever it may be. And again, we're going to spend the morning trying to sort out what that is. What are we set free to do, and how does the gospel empower us to do that very thing? And what I think this all comes down to, by the way, uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and just lay my cards out on the, on the table. Um, what I think this all comes down to is impetus. You guys know this word? Impetus. Um, it has to do with momentum. It has to do with force, power, incentive, uh, inspiration, momentum. That's a good word. Momentum. To be compelled. In other words, the gospel creates a whole new way of living. It sets us free to live with a whole new motivation. Okay? It gives us new ways of seeing. It gives us new ways of hearing. It gives us new ways of seeing God, of seeing ourselves, of seeing others. It provides us with new hearts. And here's one more. This is a good one to latch on to, I think. The gospel provides us with a new reason for why we do the things that we do, all the things that we do. It provides us with a new reason for why we do all that we do. Uh, this is what Paul is driving at here, I think. Um, he wants... <laughs> like desperately it's coming through i hope you can hear it like paul wants this gospel freedom to like get its claws into us to get under our skin um so here is a related outline as it relates to the kinds of things that i'm trying to express here but based on the text we're going to consider this question of why do we do what we do and we're going to come at this from three different vantage point. It's almost like telling the story in three different ways, okay? The first is, this is going to sound a little bit riddlesome, okay? The first is doing the right things for the wrong reasons. The second thing we're going to consider is doing the wrong things for the right reasons. And then the third thing, the last thing we're going to consider is doing the right thing for the right reasons. You guys confused yet? Uh, I'm going to repeat that just in case you're writing this down and you're like, said what? Um, doing the right things for the wrong reasons, doing the wrong things for the right reasons, and then doing the right things for the right reasons. Okay? You with me? 
to begin with, doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And um, this, is, this is a bit of review from last week. Uh, so this is what Paul is all kinds of worked up about, all right, this very thing. Um, this is what has him getting red in the face, and I don't mean blushing, all right? So um, check this out, verse 2. Mark my words, he says, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And then I'm just going to jump ahead one, one verse beyond to verse 4, where he makes his point very plainly. He says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And I find that the way that he puts that is very helpful, okay, just in terms of how we ought to see the law, how we ought to view the law, or how we ought to view God's commands, anything that, he, any kinds of directives that we get from him. Paul isn't suggesting that we ditch these things, right? He isn't suggesting that we ditch the law, ditch the commandments of God. Um, he's, he's super duper heated about what's happening here, okay? That's obvious. Circumcision was just one aspect of the law. I think I said last week, and I think this is right, that it's one law um, among 611 laws. But the law wasn't the problem. This should sound familiar from last week. It was how they were seeing the law that was the problem. It was how they were relating to the law that was the problem. Paul says in verse 4, you who are, how, so how? How are they relating to it? What was the problem? Verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. They were working hard at obeying God's laws and commandments, thinking that by doing so, that they could somehow justify themselves, that they could be justified before God, that they could somehow atone for their sins, that they could make amends, that they could make reparations between them and God, and in the end be found innocent, purified, acquitted. And Paul is emphatically saying, no, no. Look at some of the things he's saying here, big clues. Look at verse 11, for instance. He says, brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision... Why am I still being persecuted? This is a little confusing. Mm -hmm. um, what does he mean by this? He means, guys, listen, I used to, to be in the business of doing this, okay? Like, I, I, I was an expert of the law. I still am. I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. These are the things that I used to say. These are the things that I used to preach about, but not anymore. And that's why I'm being persecuted, because I preach something different now. I preach justification by faith not by the law. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And then look at the end of verse 11. He says, in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Another slightly confusing statement. But what is he saying? Um, he's saying, if, if we could simply fix ourselves by obeying the law, the cross would lose its offense. It wouldn't be offensive anymore. And I think that this is really an important thing for us to note, to think about. What's offensive about the cross? What's offensive about it? 
What does he mean? Here's what I think he means. The cross ought to be offensive to us because of what it implies. If you do find the cross offensive, you may actually be understanding it. Okay? So what does it imply? And here's what... Um, if we're going to take this seriously, if we're going to take the cross seriously, if we're going to take the cross on its own terms, it's really simple what it implies. It implies that Doug is a hellbound sinner who can do absolutely nothing for himself to save himself. It implies that you and I are utterly dependent upon someone else to rescue us, someone else to save us, someone else to fix our mess. It implies that we need mercy. It implies that we need grace. And yet, get this, the cross... Well, okay, wait a second. Wait a second. How bad is it? How bad do we need these things? How badly? It's so bad that it required nothing less than the Son of God to die a gruesome death. And yet, get this, the cross did it. It was enough. It was enough. Jesus willingly, sacrificially laid down his life for us, and it was enough. It was enough to justify us. It was enough to atone for our sins. It was enough to make us right with God. It was enough to um, take care of our mess so that nothing more was needed. This is why in verse 12, and I'm sorry to point this out. I tried to avoid this last week, but I'm coming to it. Um, I'm sorry to point this out, especially to you parents who have kids in the room right now, okay? But Paul says, as for those agitators, okay, so as for those who are suggesting that Jesus, what Jesus did isn't enough, as for those agitators who are suggesting that in order for us to be right with God, that we'll need to add to what Jesus did, that we'll need more, that, that, that um, we should circumcise, ourselves. He's talking to men, obviously. Paul says, of these agitators, he says, I wish that they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You understand what he's saying, right? He's saying, circumcision? Shoot, do us all a favor and remove all of it. Like, whoa, very graphic. This gets to the point of just how serious Paul is about this. Just be done with it. Yes, we get it, Doug. Move on. We, we get it. We get it. Did you really need to point that out? It's in, it's in the text, okay? Why, why do I do what I do? Why do you do what you do? Why are you here this morning? I'll maybe ask that question. What are you doing here? Like, What was the impetus for you getting out of bed this morning and coming here? What brought you here? Um, this is... This is a question. You could say it a bunch of different ways. You could apply it to a bun bunch of different areas of life. But this is the question, you see, because sometimes we can do the right things, but for the wrong reasons. It's good to listen to God's word. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to follow him. It's a good thing to trust his words and to seek to obey his words. But if we're doing those things in an effort to save ourselves, to appease God for the things that we think that we've done wrong or the things that we have done wrong, then we're doing them for the wrong reasons. And this is what Paul is worked up about. Well, what is the right reason then? That's got to be the next question, right? Well, what's the right reason? Um, this leads us to our second point. Doing the wrong things 
for the right reasons. So to begin with here, what are the right reasons for, for doing the things that we do? We've got to start there. Um, well, let's come back to verse 1 again. I said that it's all in verse 1, so if we're looking for the answer, it's got to be there, right? Verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The first thing that we should notice here, I think, is that Christ has set us free. That's what it says. That's like word for word. Christ has set us free. If you have embraced the gospel, if you know Christ this morning, what that means is that he has set you free. You're free. Free from what? You ask. Lots of things. Lots of things could be mentioned here. He set you free from the power and the penalty of sin. He set you free from the condemnation of sin that comes to us through the law. All right? To the church in Rome, Paul said this. This, this helps to explain this a little bit. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free, same exact language, <clears throat> For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin in death. You've been set free from these things. There's another thing. He mentions death. Jesus, Jesus sets us free from death as well. To the church in Corinth, he said this, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, there's so many similarities in all of these things. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Christ has set us free. Why? Why has he set us free? So that we might be free, right? We talked about this last week. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. No more games needed is one way that you could put that. If I'm in Christ, I'm no longer living on the proving ground where I'm always having to prove myself, constantly hustling, constantly performing in the hopes that God will look in my direction and smile and I will appease him in some way. I'll get a pass. I don't have to lift a finger anymore. This is what the gospel tells me. I don't have to lift a finger anymore in order to appease God. I don't have to constantly cover my tracks, try to cover my sins, try to cover my can, if I could put it bluntly. I don't need to do that anymore because I have a covering. And my covering is Jesus. And it's enough. He is my righteousness. This sounds awesome, does it not? Unreal is what it sounds like. Too good to be true. And yet this is precisely what the gospel lays claim to. That this is our experience. This is the experience of those who are in Christ. And so what am I going to do with that? Just got to keep asking these kinds of questions. What am I going to do with that? Why do we do what we do? Notice Paul's warning about this newfound freedom in verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. There it is again. But, however, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. 
What does he mean by this? He means don't do the wrong things for the right reasons. Isn't that what he's saying? It's right that you're free. You're correct about that. Now, don't abuse that. Don't waste your freedom on the wrong things, is what I think he's saying. In other words, we might say, well, if I really am free to do as I like, well, then I think I'm just going to go ahead and do the things that I like. Right? That sounds like freedom. Strike of the band. Let's party. Right? And by the way, this is a side note. This is, this, is, this is this man's opinion, okay? But in my opinion, for whatever it's worth, I don't think that there's anything wrong with having a good time. I hope that some of you agree with me about that. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a good time. I don't think Paul is saying, hey, no smiling out there. Break all your records, unsubscribe to Spotify, no dancing, no laughing, you know? Free people are serious people. Sit up straight. No, I don't think that that's it. I don't think that the Bible would have us to believe that God is some kind of divine killjoy of some sort. What I really think that this comes down to is the us factor. What I really think this comes down to is the me factor. And this can cut cut us in both different, in both ways. I mean, this is really good to kind of like see these like parallels that are happening with the gospel. This is the third way in the center. Um, If I'm working hard, See if this tracks with you. If I'm working hard to obey God and keep all of his commandments in order to justify myself, in order to provide myself with a covering, who is that obedience for? Who is it for? Come on now. Let's be honest with ourselves. It isn't for him. It's for me. Isn't that right? It's my best efforts to cover my own can, to attend to my best interests. It's a me thing. It's not a him thing. This is why it's rotten to the core. And likewise, when I'm declared free because of all that Jesus has done for me, the thing that Paul is warning us about here is that very same inclination showing up, rearing its ugly head in a different way, in a different place. The one that says, sweet, now it's time for some me time. Jesus who? Brothers? Sisters in Christ? The church? Right. Yeah, yeah. Give me a minute. I'll I'll, I'll get to you. Be patient. Get in line. I'm first. In other words, if all roads lead back to me, then I may have a mixed-up understanding of freedom. I may not be truly understanding the reality and the call of gospel freedom And so if we have embraced the gospel, and if we do know Jesus, what exactly have we been called to? What have we been freed to? How does that freedom work? How does it empower me to do the right things for the right reasons? This is the question, okay? And this obviously puts us into our last point now. Doing the right things for the right reasons. Reasons. Please look back with me at verse 13 and notice how it ends. You, my brothers and sisters, in other words, let me point this out, he's addressing a group of people who are together, right? Not, not us as individuals, not me. You, my brothers and sisters, all y'all together, were called to be free 
but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And notice what he says next. And I pointed this out last week, but I failed to reference this verse, which is so very helpful in this regard. I pointed out last week that the law isn't broken. There's nothing wrong with the law, but it's, the problem is us. We're broken, and therefore our relationship to the law is broken. It was never meant to be a yoke that is put around our neck, because a yoke is intended to lighten our burden, to create ease, right? But the law doesn't do that. Okay, And so, so notice how Paul makes this very same connection for us in verse 14. He says, serve one another humbly in love for the entire law. New relationship to the law with the yoke of Jesus on us. Okay, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how wearing the yoke of Christ can return us to the law? in really beautiful ways. What have we been set? Why? Why have we been set free? What have we been set free to do? And what we're learning here is that we've been set free in order to enter into and to experience the very life of God. And what is the life of God like? Where does his road, if we're on his road, where does his road lead us? It leads us to humbly serve in love God in others. That's where it leads. That's where it tends. That's what we've been freed to. How does it do that? How does it do that? How does the gospel empower us to embrace this new life? What is the impetus? Right? This is a lot like the uh, verse 1. Do you remember this from last week? Paul writes, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And I joked about this last week. Um, this is like saying, uh, you know, uh, um, it is for eating that I have made you a sandwich. It is for sitting that I have given you a chair, right? Um, th- these are obvious things. So why are we saying them? Very similar thing. What will empower us to love? This is an obvious question. What will empower us to love? Love. Love will empower us to love. The love of God will empower us to love to know and experience the love of God. This is what will empower us. This is what the, the impetus must be. This made me think of um, Keith Green. The Longrins busted out a Keith Green song the other day. I'm a sucker for a Keith Green song, all right? You may not know who that is. Um, but it made me think of a, a, a song that he had written called Your Love Broke Through. Does anybody know that one? Um, here's the first verse in the chorus very much connects with all that we're talking about, I think. Like a foolish dreamer trying to build a highway to the sky, trying to build my own justification, trying to do it on, in my own steam. Like a foolish dreamer trying to build a highway to the sky, all my hopes would come tumbling down and I never knew just why until today when you pulled away the clouds that hung like curtains on my eyes. You help this blind man see. Well, I've been blind all these wasted years, and I thought I was so wise, but then you took me by surprise. And here comes the chorus. 
like waking up from the longest dream, how real it seemed until your love broke through. I've been lost in a fantasy that blinded me until your love broke through. What will empower us to love? Only one thing, the love of God breaking through, breaking into our lives, creating a new way, creating a new impetus, creating new hearts, and the knowledge in the experience of his love. That's what will set you free from a yoke of slavery to the law, okay, in which we nervously are hustling to cover our own cans. Isn't that what we're doing? And then by extension, when we know that we're safe, when we know that we're secure in Christ and eternally loved and embraced and accepted by God through this radical act of what? Through this radical act of love, that in turn can set us free from not just the slavery to the law, but slavery to self, this self-addiction. Because when I'm not busy 95% of the time worrying about me, anybody relate to that? When I'm not busy 95% of the time worrying about me, perhaps I can begin to concern myself with my neighbor. Perhaps I can begin to fulfill the law. This is what the law was for. This is the heart of the law. Notice what Paul says in verse 6. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I spent a lot of time with this verse this week. There's a lot here. This is a really cool thing. Um, Based on my study, I don't know that the NIV does the best job of rendering this. So I'm going to read a different translation. Uh, hear it this way. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor, circum- nor uncircumcision has any power, but only faith working through love. Okay? If we want to see God's love and light being activated in the world around us, if we want to see the light and love of God being activated in our own lives and in our own spheres of influence, Paul explains how this can actually work. He tells us how this can happen. The power is in the gospel itself. This is what Paul means when he uses this word faith. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about gospel faith. The power isn't in us. The power isn't in our efforts. The power isn't in circumcision. It isn't in uncircumcision. The power belongs to God. The power is in the gospel itself. And that gospel can be activated in the world through love. I mean, this is how he's explaining this. This is really interesting. This, this phrase, um, in, in your version, it says expressing itself. In the version I read, it said working through. It speaks of the release of energy. And by the way, so does the other one. When it says that n- neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any power, it, it's saying, like, it's got no electrical current, that stuff. You flip the switch, the light doesn't come on. But how does this work? Gospel faith has the power. In fact, I was looking into one of my uh, Greek word helps, and it gave this metaphor of an electrical current uh, in relation to expressing itself. 
this energy, this, you know. So in other words, the gospel has the power. There's an electrical current. It can turn on a light bulb, right? But, but how, where's that, where are you going to channel that electrical current? You, it's got to come through the cord, right? What's the cord? It's love. The gospel possesses real power. And it's meant to be channeled through love. The kind of love that we have received. You can't give what you don't got. We are what we eat. If we can receive the love of God, we can put it back out. And the gospel has the power to do this. Love it. To close things out, I want to think practically about this. Um, To turn on a light switch is easy, right? Just, it's on. This is not how this works. I wish it did. It doesn't. Um, It's burdensome. It's still a yoke. It still comes with weight. Um, But it's a good weight. And I think that that's the thing to know. It's a good burden. It's, I mean, just like, if you're going to get a burden, like, can you beat love? Like, that's a great burden. If, you, if you're going to have to carry something heavy, if you're going to have to deal with something challenging and hard, like, love sounds like a great thing, right? Loving people, though, can be burdensome. Not simply because it pulls us away from doing the things that we, that we want to do, you know, our own agenda, though it may do that. Not merely because it inevitably puts demands on us, though it will most certainly do that. But loving people can be burdensome. Why? Because it hurts. That's why. It hurts. I, I'm trying to get practical here. It, it, it hurts. When we take the risks that the gospel gives us the inner um, strength to take, and choose to love people well, we can get our hearts broken. We should count on this. We can get our hearts broken because the people we love can, I mean, what happens? You know, the people we love can do foolish things. They can wreck relationships. And when you love people and when you're in it with them and when you're trying to walk alongside of them and things in their life go sideways and they get hurt and they hurt people, it hurts us. It breaks our hearts. We have to count on, we we have to account for this. We can get our hearts broken because the people we love can sometimes turn on us in various kinds of ways and in all, for all kinds of reasons. And that can really sting. We can get our hearts broken because the people we love can simply disappear. They can drop out. They can drop out on us. They can drop out on the church. And that can hurt. We can get our hearts broken because the people we love get sick. We can get our hearts broken because the people that we love can die. I've watched many of you walk through these things. So why should we do it? If it's so hard, why should we do it? And I would say that it's because love is where the action is. Because God tells us that. God tells us that love is where the action is. This is what Paul's saying to us. And love is where the action is because God is love. This is who he is. This isn't merely a characteristic of God. This is who he is. Because God has willingly taken on the burden of love in such a way that it has broken his own heart. He's out in front of us with these things. I just want to close out by just giving some examples. Right? Like, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
What does he set us free to do? He set us free to love. What did it look like in Jesus' life? It was burdensome, okay? Let me just read a few things for you, and then we'll, then we'll close. This is from Luke 13, 31 through 34. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox. I like that. Go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. He's saying, I've come to die. And it's going to happen in Jerusalem. And then we read this. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. He had a broken heart, didn't he? A couple chapters later, Luke 19, 42 through 44, as he approached Jerusalem, he's getting closer, and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. He said this as he wept. He was a heartbroken man. John eleven thirty two through 37. Now when Mary came, this is at Lazarus's funeral. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And we read that Jesus wept. He wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he, who opened the eyes of the blind man, also have kept this man from dying? This is, this is the burden of Christ when he says, take my yoke upon you. And, and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. This is the burden. This is what we've been freed to do. This is a good thing. This is a really good thing, you know? Like, if, if gospel freedom resulted in us having no burden, we would just be wandering around aimlessly. But God has kindly and graciously invited us into what he's doing. Faith, the power of the gospel, working through love. Stand firm in it. Do not be moved off of it. Stay steadfast in this freedom. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, you say, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Would you teach us that we might learn from you? Teach us your way. Teach us how to bear your burden, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.